Welcome to this week's installment of Dead and Lovely. Here with Ben and Steve from the past. Oh, just kidding. It's actually us from the future again. Yeah. <laughs> Man. I always, like, what if we could do an episode from the past? Like, if we went, I mean, because we're in the future now. Yeah. And now, I've also been thinking uh, about how future this all really is. Okay. Since it's, it looks like we're... Probably gonna have to redo every episode we've done, except for maybe one or two. Yes, <laughs> I, I hope that your mind is going exactly where mine is because I've been thinking about this, and I've been kind of saying to myself, the really cool thing is, is all of our episodes have been from future Ben and Steve, right? Yeah. But then whenever we actually do get up to those episodes that that don't need redoing, the ones that we recorded about a month or so ago. Yeah. Even though those are the newest episodes, those are actually going to be older than these episodes. So yeah. they're going to be from the past. <laughs> yeah. Man, we are bending fucking time. It's awesome. This is, uh, I heard word that this is actually J.J. Abrams' favorite podcast. No, well, yeah. Did you hear that from BB-8? Uh, I heard from Bill Gates Jr., he told me personally. Oh, yeah. Well, listen. That guy. I listen, I've just told him from now on, don't even look above my chest. Yeah, you yeah. You just yeah. keep your eyes down when you're near me, son. Show I some say. fucking respect, Bill Gates Jr. He's one of our interns yeah. here on the show. He kinda does a lot mm. of our a lot of our gopher work and answering questions yeah. and stuff like that that we have. He grabs me whiskey. Yeah. I would call it more yeah. of a mercy job than anything. I like to call him my whiskey boy. Yeah. I'm having a mm-hmm. I'm I'm having myself a I'm a real life beer boy right now. I'm having myself a youngling. I'm having myself a youngling beer. Well, that sounds foreign. Where's that from? That's America's oldest brewery, buddy. What? America's oldest brewery? It is. I think yeah, it's a I, I think it's a fine beer. It's like that's yeah, that's one of those right. ones. Yeah. I, I can go to the store and I can get a pint of it for uh yeah. a dollar. Yeah, not a bad deal. I would much rather have it than other beers of similar similar price ranges to like. Yeah. I mean, dude, yeah, if, it, if it's between like a Budweiser or a Miller versus Yungling, uh, there's no contest. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, it'll sound douchey, hipster. Well, not hipster anymore. I guess three years ago, hipster. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine with a Pabst. Um, I'm too. I, I I find it inoffensive if I'm going cheap beer. Pabst yeah. is fine. Yeah, uh, but I, yeah, I agree Yingling, with that, man. Yingling has a little bit more flavor to it, I think. I do. Yeah, I think so too, man. I think, I think so too. How's your week been out there in uh, Los Angeles, dude? Man, great. My wife and I celebrated our anniversary yesterday. Congratulations we, um, to you, sir. Among other things, we watched uh, Seven Year Itch, a Marilyn that. Monroe movie, Billy Wilder. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I have seen that. Uh, yeah. Um, it's. Uh, we did it for one humor value because it was our seventh anniversary, mm-hmm. and so you do it for the lols. 
Yeah, but we also did it because it was the first movie we watched together when the first time we hung out. So No kidding. Pretty romantic. Yeah, we drank... Uh, in the movie, they drink champagne and eat potato chips. Uh-huh. And uh, we sort of did that. I... <laughs> my wife doesn't really like champagne and i didn't really champagne. think champagne i love it but i didn't think champagne would go well with potato chips so we got a sparkling moscato and oh. had it with potato chips it was pretty damn great that's not a bad move my, my wife and i have discovered champagne doesn't really go bad with pretty much anything yeah i i really like i actually like a, a good dry champagne mm. uh but Dude, my, my wife is not a big fan if you want to roll deep and expensive and just feel fancy as fuck um, yeah i know the traditional accompaniment is of course a nice warm sake but have you ever had champagne and a sushi sandwich no it's fucking out of control good okay yeah yes that sounds great so the first movie you guys watched was seven year itch <laughs> yeah we also um yeah, that, that was the first... Okay, so this is the kind of cute story of the first night we hung out. Okay. I uh, I texted my my now wife, uh, then uh, just person I knew. Um, I texted her, do you want to come over and braid my hair? <laughs> so... Which that, was actually yeah. a text you meant to send to me. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was like... I was trying to select, I think because Eller and Emily were close. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, Easy yeah, mistake. Yeah. But yeah, um, and that was at like one in the morning. Um, some might call that a booty text. <laughs> Except but when you're because, a Mormon, nothing yeah, is a we booty were Mormons. text. Yeah, so she came over and we watched Seven Year Itch, and it was it was a fun time. I think the first movie that my wife and I watched together, if I'm not mistaken... Which is still legit one of my favorite movies to watch, even though it's not really that great of a movie, but it really does just make me happy to watch. Uh, I think was The Motherfucking Shadow with Alec Baldwin. (laughs) Do you know that movie? The Motherfucking Shadow. Yes, of course I remember The Shadow. It's great. It's kind of based on the old radio teleplay kind of thing, and it's all kind of detective-y, kind of serial mystery kind of thing. I fucking love it. I think it's just still a really fun movie to watch. The yeah. First, the first was... movie that we saw in theaters, Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. <laughs> wow. I'm the pink. first movie, I think the first movie my wife and I saw in the theaters was the uh, the sixth Harry Potter. Oh, or damn. The fifth. I'm not sure. It was a Harry Potter movie, for mm-hmm. sure. That's, yeah. a, that's a great t- start to any romance right there. Yeah. For real, <laughs> that's good times, man. Yeah, I've had a, I've had a good week too, man. It's been pretty busy. I've been teaching a lot, recording a lot, learning a lot of tunes and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I've been name a, name one tune you learned. Oh wait, no, actually, can you give it to me? Mouth guitar. I have been working on making a cover for background music on my YouTube channel of the main kind of stage theme music to Kung Fu for NES. Awesome. Which goes... <laughs> Kung Fu was so awesome. Kung fucking Fu, dude. Yeah. Do you remember the bosses in that game? No. Uh, there was a big orange fat guy. Yeah. 
there, I remember, I, what, what was his name? Did they have names? I think my brother and I just made up names for him. Because oh, okay. I don't really yeah. think so. There's the big orange fat yeah. guy. There was that one boss in there. I think it was the third or fourth boss that had like a little ice cube for a body. Uh-huh. You, <laughs> do you remember that? Yes. And like you'd punch him and sometimes his head would fall off, but then it would come back. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, because um, I, you know, I'm uh, a true child of my era. Sure. I loved Jean-Claude Van Damme movies along with any martial arts movie. And so on the Nintendo, I loved any martial arts game. Sure. So Ninja Gaiden. Oh, fuck, um, yeah. I need yeah. to do some covers of some Ninja Gaiden music. Ninja Gaiden yeah. 2 was one of the biggest games of my childhood, man. Yeah. So awesome. Uh, yeah, those games, like... I mean, you look back on them, they're just platformers. There's nothing terribly amazing about them, but God, it was so like when you in those early days of video games, like your imagination had to make up for so much because it was just blips on a screen. Oh, yeah. So like um, those early RPGs, I still play a lot like Dragon Warrior and Final Mm -hmm. Fantasy, like those because like you had to make so much of the story connect yourself. Oh, totally like, so. Yeah, and you were a making A lot up, of it was... You know, that, and that's one of those things, especially when it comes to, like, RPGs and stuff that I really miss is, like, whenever I was playing those old text-based RPGs, it's like, you make up the voices for those characters and, and yeah. that sort of thing in your own head. But nowadays, it's like, every RPG you play has voice acting in it, and I really fucking hate it. Um, I, I would say... For anybody who who loves RPGs, that the um, the Elder Scrolls series and the Fallout series um, are really what you're looking for. I think. I mean, even though, yeah, they they do have the voice acting, the main characters don't have that, and it helps really? you to feel. Yeah, it helps you to feel like it's you doing the talking. So it's like. That's cool. Yeah, and also those are open world games where there's so much stuff to find that like you seriously can get lost in it. I I really love that about those RPGs. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Like in some of them, some of them are so on rails. I I really do like uh, some of the on rails RPGs, but some of them are so on rails that it's like there's there's no way that like you make any choices along the way it's almost like you're just watching a movie and pressing buttons every once in a while almost as though some devious godlike author has pre-scripted your entire life about you and is writing the whole thing as you're living it out man that sounds like a transition (laughs) it was was right there i had to it was right so good that was a good one. Damn, it's, it's like that. That was completely like the fucking like the volleyball scene in Top Gun, where it's man, you set yes! it, you set yeah! it up, and I uh-huh, motherfucking you fucking spiked knocked it. it down. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I'm also covered in oil and chest hair. Yeah, and I was wearing very say, short shorts. Yeah, and I am I am like really pushing down to hide a boner. So <laughs> it's pretty much exactly like that scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because this week we're talking about In the Mouth of Madness, John Carpenter's 1995 uh, horror movie that uh, definitely is exactly that. Uh, some some strange 
an unknowable author is dictating the entirety of of the of, of your reality i fucking love this movie and yeah um uh, uh, again you know just in case you guys missed it we actually recorded a podcast about this months ago the audio was fucked yeah. so here we are re-recording it for the first release of it and uh, yeah. that first time that we went over it was the first time that I'd watched this movie, and um, I've since watched it again, and it has become one of my one of my favorites. I really, mm-hmm. really like this movie a lot. I can't really think of a lot that I would add or subtract from this movie. Yeah, I love this movie. This movie I saw in 1995. Wow. Um, I have. E- I, I told this story the first time. I'm gonna tell it again because I, I think uh, I think it's a, a pretty good story. This movie, in a lot of ways, uh, decided so much of the way I think and mm. and choices I've made in my life. Uh, this movie made me question reality. It made me question the i very idea of authority and and there being like. Uh, there being someone who can totally dictate what what life is and what it means to everyone. Right. And it was also the first time that I recognized, um, I, I guess it, it hit me when at the end, it or at the beginning when it says like directed by John Carpenter, I was like, John Carpenter. I remember that name because I had watched The Thing uh, recently. It was the point in my life where I recognized, wait a second, Movies aren't, they don't grow on trees, like people make them, and it seems like <laughs> some of the things that I really like are made by all the same people, which means that there's some sort of artistic direction. Uh, it made me understand then that like, oh right, making movie, making tele- making movies, making television, that's a job. Like this is a thing you can do. Right. So I know what you mean, because I think the... I think like Quentin Tarantino was was like the same way with me. Where, whenever I was watching some of those early flicks like Pulp Fiction and, of course, True True Romance and Reservoir Dogs and stuff, yeah, it, it kind of made you realize, oh wait, 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 like movies aren't just something that Hollywood quote unquote puts out. It's like these are things that are yeah. made straight from the minds of particular people, and I can find awesome. people whose yeah. outlooks zone in on the same thing as mine, and I'll probably enjoy all their flicks if I watch them. So. I can totally level which level with what you're saying there. It's one of those things that kind of changed what you think about movies themselves. They're not just they're, they're expressions of somebody's outlook on life and certain topics and so mm. on. And I I've actually found that to be true of John Carpenter. He is one of the directors um, that he has certainly some movies that I watch and I'm like this isn't good. Escape from L.A. for instance, um, <laughs> but. My, he has so many great movies and so much like depth of creativity and and actually this movie is part of what is called the Apocalypse Trilogy mm-hmm. uh, uh, that starts with the Thing and then one of my fucking favorites. Yeah, then goes to uh, Prince of Darkness, which is absolutely awesome. I haven't seen and, it. I really want to scope that out. Yeah, you should. I mean, it's weird and strange and doesn't hit a lot of the horror points i think like because it, it goes into like theoretical physics and stuff oh but it's shit. so cool yeah and then uh and then this in the mouth of madness is the the conclusion of the trilogy so basically like in the thing these 
these extra dimensional creatures return to earth and then we see uh the progression of their plan which is eventually i guess to take over reality Mm -hmm. and they do yeah they're all kind of about the end of the world by various means i guess yeah even though it's cool because you never really see like an exclamation point like and then the earth explodes kind of into the world it's just sort of like if you think about it yeah that would end the world yeah yeah i mean by the end of this movie it's i mean there's still some people but the world's pretty much ended i uh, um, actually just recently rewatched. i think only for like the second time man like last week kate and i watched escape from new york mm, and uh i really great. fucking liked it a lot like yeah. the first time that i watched it um it was a really long time ago and i think it was before i was really exposed to a whole lot of different kinds of movies and stuff so the first time i watched it i think i just thought it was corny or something um, yeah, but this time around, you know, my, my tastes have changed quite a bit since then. I really, really, really liked it. It's a really fun watch, man. That's one of those ones that we'll have to, you know, one day is just a wild card or something. Kind of cover that on the on the show. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy Good. that movie. Yes, absolutely. Kurt Russell, um, I think after seeing him again in The Hateful Eight and Bone Tomahawk, I realized that like. I think I've seen every movie he's ever been in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like enjoy so many of them. He's he's such a he's such a like charming but also like intense. Like he totally. he's he picks he's cool got, movies to be in, dude. Yeah, he does. I mean he Yeah, he he has that ability to just come on the set and be charming but also to come on and and, and just It'd be so intimidating. I mean, I, th- I think back to Tombstone, and and stuff like that. Like he's so intense. Tombstone, I really is love the it. shit. That is one of the best yeah. movies ever. Yeah, I I used to, I when I was little, I thought it dragged a bit. When I watched it more recently, I was like, no, it's it's great. I yeah, love the it's ending. Fucking great, man. <laughs> well, in honor of the fact that sort of the main topic of in the mouth of Badness is a a horror novel author that comes to a scary amount of power. Um, Yeah. I I think it would be a fun idea for this episode. Me and Steve here spend a little bit of time talking about some of our favorite horror novels. Now, Steve is a much more literate dude than than I am. I can barely read. I doubt that. (laughs) No. I, listen, listen, I've seen you read. You get through most of the letters. That's... (laughs) really important okay so you'll understand what's after q one of these days (laughs) so i've not really read all that many horror novels um again kind of a late bloomer to the whole horror genre thing but um i'm making up for it as fast as i can get so i haven't read like a ton of horror movie or sorry a ton of horror novels so please don't take this as a list of Trust me, I've read every horror novel ever, and these are the best ones. Um, now, uh, Steve's list, you can take for that. No, don't do that, because <laughs> Steve will remind you that uh, uh, in my undergraduate work, I focused on 19th century American literature, and in my my graduate work, I focused on 18th century British literature. Well, that's where so all the horror mo- horror books were written, there, right? There are a ton, but I, I'm telling you, I and I read uh, so many of them. I'm telling you, though, my my taste 
are a little more uh, when it comes to horror novels and in novels in general i i love irony i love satire i love parody i love i love it I love humor, so a lot of my stuff is going to be humorous. So you're saying that your main kind of thing is like, let's say, The Da Vinci Code, Twilight, oh, yeah. Fifty Shades. I th- Yeah, we're talking about, yeah, like 18th century, right? <laughs> that, 18th century means like 2000, I think. <laughs> well... Let's uh, you go ahead and kick us off there, Stephen. In yeah, no, in no right. particular order. These aren't no del- particular order. I yeah, I just have some written down, and I'll I'll start with I guess the most recent, uh, The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Oh my god, dude, that wasn't even on my radar because that is totally a scary ass fucking book. But it yes. didn't. It didn't yeah. I didn't think of it when I thought of horror. That's yeah. a fa- I have read that. That's a fantastic yeah. book. It is. It's. It's dystopian horror. The horror is mankind. I mean, there. There are no monsters. There's no. No. Like. There's nothing to defeat. Which is what makes it so much scarier. Is that every single person that they come across might be wanting to kill them or put them in a basement to eat later or you know whatever. And that's one of those. So, did you see the movie? Did you enjoy the movie? Yes, I really did. I, I thought I thought, they did I thought a good Viggo job. Mortensen was so great. Yeah, I really enjoyed the ending of that book too, especially just like that last line about the there's like some trout in a cave or something like this, and it's yeah, man, it was cool. Yeah, it's a good book. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Well, the first the first thing that came to mind for me when I thought about favorite horror novels would would of course be Stephen King's The Shining, which. Um, the, the, the Shining, as I mentioned before, yeah. is like my favorite horror movie of all time. And the book, I know it's a lot... It's a little different. It is. And a lot of people but have like a real good. a real problem with that. Like some people love the book, some people love the movie. I, I really I, love them both equally, even though they yeah. are very different. And I love them for very different reasons. I love the book. And my wife always have kind of funny memories of this too, because like my wife read it way before I did. Uh-huh. And... It scared her to fucking death to the point of where, like, she'd have been reading the book and, you know, she'd be, like, going to bed and she'd be like, hey, could you just kind of, like, sit in here until I fall asleep because I'm really freaked out. <laughs> or, like, if she was reading the book while I was out going to the grocery store or yeah. something like that, she'd be like, hey, could you, like, call me when you get home that way you won't scare me when you come in the door? Like, it freaked <laughs> her out so bad. And then years later, whenever I read it, God, I I blew through it, man. I felt like I was fucking uh, Jack Torrance sitting in there in the basement going through all those files about the Overlook Hotel. I was just blowing through that book. Really, really, really loved it. Yeah, I I have read it. I enjoy it. I, I yeah, I don't get the the separation between the books and the movie. I actually have come to terms with books being turned into movies. I just don't. I think you have to go in and just not think about the book at all. Like take it for what this it isn't is not the book. Yeah, this isn't the book. You're not here to to see someone read the book to you. You're here to see someone's interpretation of the book on screen. So right. I just don't care about it anymore. I um I think I really came to terms with it with The Walking Dead, which right. is one I I guess a a novel I could have said, but the Walking Dead, reading the comics, I really love the comics, and then watching the show, I really love the show. Uh, I don't care that the show doesn't follow the comics. It's kind of how I feel I like actually, Game of Thrones. 
Yeah, exactly. I actually think it's it's fun to see someone's uh, new creative take on it when they do it well, which I think those shows both do well. Sure. What's your next one on your list? My next one on my list, um, I, all right, listen, guys, <laughs> trust me. me, this is a good book and you need to read it. Pierre or the Ambiguities by Herman Melville. You're talking um, about old Moby Dick Herman Melville, right? I am talking about Moby Dick Herman Melville, and this is the book he wrote after Moby Dick. I don't know I, this. I could go into this forever because I I wrote a 20-page paper and, and uh, actually presented uh, a paper at a conference on this. 20 pages? That's uh, like a whole nother book. <laughs> yeah, 20 <laughs> whole pages? There were a lot of pictures, though. <laughs> um so i it was, it was actually a flip book yeah uh I, just a, <laughs> a quick explanation basically uh melville and hawthorne nathaniel hawthorne of scarlet letter fame uh they had become friends a little bit before moby dick was released they became very close friends for a short period of time and during that time melville wrote Pierre or the ambiguities hmm. and Hawthorne wrote the next book I'll talk about but both of those books if you read them are very clearly about the relationship between Melville and Hawthorne is and it scary? also is it horror yes they're they're horror but they're satirical uh gothic horror hmm. so they they are scary like they're it's it like really raises tension as you're reading there's a, an especially scary scene in pierre uh involving um a, a guitar that plays itself it, it's like that I, I really i really recommend it because uh melville like really let himself go and he <laughs> Uh, Melville is one of the smartest, funnier writer, funniest writers that I think there is. But uh, I again understand it's probably a little dry when you're talking about horror novels. Anyway, what's your next? One? <laughs> no, the next one that came to mind for me, probably because I, I read it maybe a year or two ago, is um, a book by I think his name is Nick Cutter called The Troop. The Troop. I haven't heard this. So let me double check that name. Let me get one of the interns on this. Could you double check that here? Let's see. The Troop. Um, Not Mm. the American Horror... Yeah, Nick Cutter is the author of this book. Okay. Um, I got it on audiobook on Audible. Audible, which is a great... Oh, yeah. Oh, I love Audible. Hey, let's talk about (laughs) Audible.com. They and got books that you can listen to. It's kind of, uh, I guess if I, if it was a movie, I would probably call it like a body horror kind of movie because it's about this Boy Scout troop on an island that starts having these insane interactions with, uh, it's basically kind of like a parasite, uh, parasite okay. zombie kind of thing uh-huh. on this island. And um, it's honestly a pretty simple story. But what yeah. sets it apart for me, man, is some of the descriptions of of some of the stuff that is going on and the way that, that these kids get infected with this stuff and on all this are just unbelievably disgusting and disturbing. Like, truly horrific, like, holy God, this is gross description and this is the of what's book, happening. 
this is the book that the cartoon Goof Troop was based off of, right? It's very loosely based on it. Um, okay. Mm. Only very loose. I'd call it really The only character that carries over is Waffles the cat. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's kind of sort of along the lines of, like, let's say the Wiz in terms of being a reimagining more than anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a lot like the Wiz. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's really, it's really cool. Super, super... Super dark and disgusting as fuck. I would I would definitely recommend okay. it. Yeah, I'm writing it down. Um, all right, so my next one is uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Blythdale Romance. Mm. Um, the Blythdale Romance is mostly... It, the Blythdale Romance is in some ways the first dystopian novel. Now, the Blythdale uh, Romance is the band that My Chemical Romance was based on, right? Yeah, yeah. My Chemical Romance, they uh, they saw a band called the Blythdale Romance, and they were like, hey, we could do better than that. And they and, never did. And the they only character that did. carried over is Waffles the Cat. Yeah. Okay. He, was, he was on bass. <laughs> Both bands. God, that... <laughs> I just like I have a vi- very vivid image of Waffles the cat playing bass in my head, and it's makes adorable. sense. It makes sense. <laughs> so you but, said that's um, a Hawthorne book, yeah? Yeah, and it, it's it's mostly actually it's about a utopian community, okay, and how it kind of collapses. But there's also uh, an element of like the paranormal and like ghosts and things. But um, it also is it's it's doing a parody of gothic romance just do they the thing that the melville book and this hawthorne book do effectively is that they do it without being hokey it's almost like the difference between uh you know watching um the uh scary movie versus watching cabin in the woods gotcha like they're both doing a, a satire on horror but one does it like an excellent movie and the other does it just a sort of slapstick comedy uh both of these books are just yeah both of these books are just real really good homage parodies to gothic uh romance that's cool too because i never heard of either of those yeah you should check out actually i recommend checking out all of hawthorne's books uh his he's a great horror writer in general like um i people may not know that Nathaniel Hawthorne is uh, related to uh, the Haythorn, who was central to the Salem witch trials. Oh shit! And and that that actually carried over into Hot, like he, because it wasn't that far removed. Hawthorne, he he felt like a, a lot of connection to the this like occult and paranormal and supernatural co- because of that situation so that's pretty cool i didn't know that yep the more you know (laughs) i would say that my next one that came to mind for me that again is another one i read maybe about two years ago and has recently turned into a movie is uh, a book by m r carey which apparently is not the same as mariah carey Mm, are you sure no i'm not entirely okay but it's called the girl with all the gifts Oh, okay. Yeah. I have not seen this movie yet or read this book, but I, I have read a good bit about it. The book is fucking awesome. The movie is pretty damn good. They did a pretty good job with the movie, but the 
the book is really so fantastic, man. It's it's one of those ones that I find myself just like, even after the story is over, like I just want to hear other stories about what happened to other people in that world and in that universe. And yeah. I want to explore that world more. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think um, I think that's been the greatest thing to come out of uh, just just uh, literature writing of any kind uh, in in the more recent period is that uh, world building and mm-hmm. uh, like anthologizing are are big things extended universe you, kind of shit yeah because you get into a world and it's like uh, finally people have realized well it's not exactly the characters. Sometimes it's the characters, but most of the time it's the world that you want to be a part of. So Absolutely you want so. more stories. Yeah. Exactly, man. It's it it's exactly like why I will always read anything with a Harry Potter badge on it is because I just oh, want yeah. to be in that world more. Yeah, one hundred percent. The Girls Hall <laughs> of Gifts is a uh, it's a zombie story basically about a it's kind of a fungus sort of infection that sort of takes over the world and turns uh-huh. people into zombie like creatures and Basically, it's kind of about a a group of like young like kid zombies that are sort of being rehabilitated and taught and educated and so on. They're basically trying trying to make them more human like, you know, because they sort of display properties oh. and behaviors okay, like da- of humans. Like Day of the Dead. Yes, but very extended. much so. It actually right. is very very similar to Day of the Dead. Uh, okay, in, in I like that. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's so good. Yeah. Um. Really, really, really enjoyable, enjoyable book. I really liked it a lot. It's got some pretty fucked up stuff in it, but again, more than anything, just a great world to inhabit. So, Girl with All the Gifts, definitely check that out. What's your next one, Steve? Um, The Great and Secret Show by Clive Barker. I mentioned it oh. uh, during the Hellraiser episode. Um, it, it's uh, part of a, do I guess there are three books total. Um, but the great and secret show, it does, it sets up this really interesting world where basically the, the beginning of it is that there's a guy who works in the dead letters office, uh, at at a post office and he, uh, actually eventually just gets so bored. He starts going through the mail and he starts discovering this mystery within the, the dead letters that opens up this whole like other universe oh shit um yeah it's it's great i highly recommend it clive barker is is so creative in the horror genre and the the thing is it's it's really good introduction to all of his other work too that's kind of why i picked it because it it shows you him writing at, at his best i think like at his uh clearest and 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 quickest at, but also like his most horrific so i highly recommend it that's right that's i gotta read some of his books man i've never read any of them and obviously i'm a huge hellraiser fan yeah yeah he's great i guess i would say what? that my next one that i thought of on my list here um one of <laughs> this was totally my beach read about two years ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just a really light, upbeat, fun-loving book called Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. <laughs> okay, I read yeah. this on the beach in Destin, Florida, surrounded by yuppies and fucking 
just resort people. It was it was weird. But the the book <laughs> is really fucking cool. Have you ever read the book? I haven't. No. I've it's seen cool. the movie. Uh, yeah, I'd seen the movie years before I read the book. And yeah. uh, as, of course, as you could say about any book, well, it explores the characters and the story and the mythology more. Yeah, yada, yada, there's yada. more depth to it, of obviously. Of course, but there's also so much stuff that's just, like, way more fucked up. Like, yeah. way more fucked up, especially... That's cool. Kind of like the... A lot of the stuff that people see whenever they're in the afterlife and what they come back to you saying and stuff like that... Mm. It gets really fucked up, especially towards that the end of the book. That is interesting. So, yeah, definitely, definitely a cool read. I like Pet Cemetery a lot. All right, my last one, and people might quibble with this, is 1984. Oh, okay, uh, I mean, yeah. So, some might say, "Well, that's a science fiction novel." Some well, might say it's, it's based on a true story. Some might say, <laughs> "Hey, guys." We live in this sort of era it's kinda now, and and it's horrific and scary. Um, I would have, I would have, uh, probably if I had read the Handmaiden's Tale, that's what I would have put here. Sure, but um, there, there's something so frightening about a science fiction novel that got it too right. Um, yeah, especially that far back, you know? Yeah. Um, and and that, uh, I don't know, I, there's a, there was a cool thing on the History Channel maybe eight or nine years ago where they talked about the contributions of Star Trek to technology. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was great. I mean, it it was a, a... pretty good connection people you know saw uh communicators and it eventually led to cell phones etc that's all that's cool stuff but i think a lot of uh, lawmakers and and people in charge read 1984 and thought of it as, as an instruction manual <laughs> not, not a warning but an instruction no they're manual. like oh this is how you do that that's what we've been trying to do this whole time jesus it's, um, so yeah, it's a very frightening novel to me. You know, I've actually never, I've actually never read it, but from, uh, from what oh, I understand, Oh, it's really good. It, like, sales of that book are skyrocketing right now. Like, a lot of, a lot yeah. of bookstores can't even keep it on the shelf. It's, it's, it's a high, I highly recommend it, because it is short, it's quick, and the story will, the story will drain you, but, like, it, it also... Uh, you know it, it's it's so real that it, it's almost like it's it, it's worth it like it's worth it to be drained yeah because you you reread it and it, it like it'll open up a lot in your head as to you know what is going on now and and how the world is and and maybe make you feel perhaps a little bit uh uh optimistic like the you know if they can look at this as an instruction manual, couldn't we also? Like, couldn't we that's look true. at it and figure out how to fight against it? And figure out that's what the next move is going to be and so on. Yeah. Use yeah. it as a defense so, manual. Yeah. Yeah, much like uh, in, in Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> improvised explosive devices manual. I would say the, the last one on, on my list here um, is another one that I read last year over a long weekend... 
as we were pressure washing our deck and our vinyl siding outside of our house and stuff, we uh, uh-huh. we very mistakenly undertook that process ourselves. That's one of those things uh, I will tell it's, you. It's grueling. It, I've done it before. Dude, yeah, it's, it's worth whatever you pay somebody to do it because it yeah, it was seriously well, I, like Friday to Monday morning. Like that's all we did is just taking turns. Yeah. I've so, never done it for free. <laughs> it fucking sucks. I've been paid to do it a number of times. It's terrible. It, it, you just end up like you. You're so swampy at the end of the day. You're Ugh. so wet. Everything's and damp. covered in just disgusting. Yeah. yeah. And so as we were doing this, I was listening through the Audible edition of "The Call of Cthulhu and Other Tales" by H.P. Lovecraft. Yes. God, why didn't I think about that? And God nah, damn it, <laughs> dude! It's it's so fucking awesome. It's so yeah. fucking awesome. And the thing is, is yes. like. You know, there's a lot of those, a lot of those classic horror books. Some of which we obviously didn't mention. Things like Bram Stoker's Dracula and stuff like that. Where, I yeah, went, I went back and I read Bram Stoker's Dracula probably about three years or so ago, and I thought it fucking sucked. Like in terms of like its quality mm. as like an entertaining book, it's not entertaining, yeah, it's, dude. Like all, um, all the stuff. Yeah, that it happens, drags. All the stuff that yeah. happens in Dracula's castle is yeah, cool. Yeah, it gets really. Yeah, it gets really like entertaining early on, and then drags for quite a while before it gets entertaining again. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's like I kind of expected Call of Cthulhu to be that same way. Nope. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, yeah, where it's like, well, uh, I'm sure this was this was probably scary and interesting when you read it, you know, when it came out. Yeah. But we've gotten better at writing books since then. Actually, the prose and stuff that Lovecraft uses in those stories is so vivid and terrifying yeah. and paints such an incredible picture of just madness uh, and insanity and hellacious demons and monsters yeah. and oh my god yeah. man i could not believe how sick it was and it's cool too because like um you know reading through that story or listening to it as i was i recognized so many things that i had heard in lyrics of like metal songs my entire <laughs> yeah. life yeah, Lovecraft is metal. Like it's metal as <laughs> there's fuck. So dude. much shit. Yeah. Um, I especially really like the tale in there about the there's like the two dudes that have that like grave robbing obsession. Yes. Yeah. It's I oh god, warped, I love dude. that one. It's so yes. fucking sick. I really love that story. And then of course the story yeah. about the the guys who go to the island and the ge- like the the geometry of the buildings and stuff uh-huh. doesn't make sense and yeah. you feel like you're going nuts when you're listening to it which is something too that i really connect with with uh today's movie the mouth of madness is because look you at know, you you're like the transition king dude i'm trying to transition the fuck out of this shit <laughs> yeah you totally like that was perfect because this this is lovecraftian horror at its like finest like this is this is to me exactly what i want when i think of you know the lovecraftian ideas of like there are extra dimensional beings they see us as play things they not even play things they they look even beyond that they don't care about us at all well Uh, and then then also realizing that you're trapped in that shit and the feelings of helplessness and of just losing your mind slowly yes that's mm-hmm. exactly what this movie feels like to me. And it's like, there's yeah. there's obviously been other movies made of Lovecraft's work. Um, 
you know, like Reanimator yeah, and shit like that. But Reanimator's good. I love Reanimator. Yeah. Oh, it's great. But it it doesn't it doesn't hit the level that this does. That's what I think is so cool about this movie is it is you know in no way based on anything that Lovecraft did. Although no. it does through a lot of the dialogue in the movie, a lot of the dialogue, like especially when they're mm. they're quoting, you know, the main author dude in the movie Kane Sutter's books is actually dialogue Sutter Kane, from. Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, Sutter Kane. <laughs> Kane. Do Sutter. you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> um, is actually dialogue from various Lovecraft books, but there's actually not a direct tie to any Lovecraft story. Yeah. But this movie is downright fucking Lovecraftian. There are three inspirations I see here. Hmm. The 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 horror is Lovecraftian. The 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 person Sutter Kane it seems to be based off Stephen King. Sure. And the third inspiration uh, that I don't I don't know if it, he's ever acknowledged it in this, uh, but Twilight Zone season one episode thirty six. An episode called A World of His Own. Mm. In that episode, there's a playwright by the name of Gregory West who discovers that his imagination is so vivid and so powerful that he can actually write characters into existence. Oh, shit. I mean, that's kind of what okay. this is. Yes. He, well, it gets even further. At the end of that episode, Rod Serling who was the narrator, the voice, the Twilight Zone voice, um, and the person who wrote a million of the episodes. Uh, oh, really? Rod he was Serling, like one of the writers? Yeah, Rod Serling appears. Shit. And he. this is the first time I believe he appears in Twilight Zone, but he appears a number of times after. Yeah. This is the only time, though, that when he appears, the characters talk to him. And it turns out that Gregory West, playwrights, invented, created Rod Serling as a character. What? So, it, I think because maybe people don't look at The Twilight Zone as a single anthology of stories that happens in one world, they might not have noticed this, but Rod Serling is more like an Awatu the Watcher who... <laughs> Who he he is conveying to us the stories of things that happen in the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone is an invention of Gregory West, the playwright whose imagination is so powerful he can bring things into existence. And all of the stories uh, exist on the same plane, and they're all interconnected. That's rad, uh, dude. I've never seen yeah. that. I gotta watch that. And, and the author of a ton of the stories is a character within the world created by a character that Rod Serling actually created. That's so like very very similar to a lot of this movie. Yeah. So um I had never noticed that before. I just noticed it on this rewatch here. I was like, "Wait a second, Gregory West. This so this is definitely inspired by that." I I would think. I'm pretty positive John Carpenter at the very least took that story in and, and thought it was a good one. That's um, awesome, he did, dude. He didn't write this story, but he, he's, his hands are all over it for sure. Now, a lot of times on this podcast, we'll kind of go through a movie sort of scene by scene and sort of break it down for you guys. But I think for this particular movie, 
Yeah, I, I think if we try to describe what's happening, yeah, it's yeah. very ineffective. I think it's kind of like sort of yeah. describing like a fever dream that you had where you're like, I was here and then suddenly I was somewhere else and there was this guy yeah. from earlier and he had blood coming out of his eyes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think if we describe it really shot by shot, it would it it yeah. wouldn't really make much sense to you. So. Yeah. I'm just going to assume the, that, that you listeners have seen the movie before. If yeah. you haven't, I hope that what we're talking about will convince you yeah. to watch it. Um, the, base, the basic premise is that uh, an insurance company uh, employs a detective who is played by Sam Neill. Our man Jurassic Park fucking Sam yeah. Neill. Sam Neill is the so good in this movie. Oh, he's fucking um, great. But... Uh, his name is John Trent. He works for an insurance agency. The insurance agency um, insures Arcane Publishing, which is their editor in chief is Charlton Heston, um, <laughs> and their their cash cow writer Sutter Kane has disappeared. Also, and he's a horror people, novel writer that people yeah. are just obsessed with, like a people are obsession. obsessed with him. Yeah, and it's it's it, this is beyond Harry J.K. Pop- Rowling, just worldwide yeah, this phenomenon. Is, this is J.K. Rowling before J.K. Rowling, right? Because it sure. talks about like lines wrapped around the block for books, and at that time it was like, yeah, that would be so crazy, but like <laughs> it happened. It did so, happen? Like, yeah, like. So that that's the basic setup, and and he is going to uh, a place in New Hampshire called Hobbs End to look for Sutter Kane, along with uh, a representative from Arcane Publishing, who is named Styles, and who I had a crush on as as a young man. So and as an adult, and as an adult, yeah, she's super cute. <laughs> so that's that's the story, ba- like basically leading up to them getting to Hobbs End, which is where everything goes insane. And basically, Sam Neill's character and... What is his name again? John Trent. John and Styles have a real Scully and Mulder kind of relationship. Like, the, Yeah! I want to believe... I, you know, I, I don't yeah. know. There's the skeptic and the believer is kind of the relationship yeah. of those two. The... Yeah, the the establishing conversation happens along the road to Hobbs End, where basically um, uh, Styles says that you know right now reality shares your point of view, but what if you know reality were to change? Right. Um, and and he has the line that uh you know sort of haunts him i guess it's like you know not me like that's that's not reality it's not gonna happen to me (laughs) which you know is is so hubristic (laughs) like so perfect that he then you know obviously finds out that this reality is all fake it's all created and that hubris that you're talking about is something that i really i really enjoy about this movie is there's this really dark twisted sense of humor throughout this movie that it kind of even takes you by surprise every now and then when there's a particularly funny line like there's a part near the first of the movie where john like knees an insane asylum asylum worker in the balls yeah and then he just goes sorry about the balls yeah that's the delivery is really fucking funny he's so good he's great like in in that scene, like it, it also has like the you know stuff starts happening in the hall, and he goes to the window, and he he's just so expressive, like with, yeah, just over with the his top. eyes, 
yeah just so over the top but it's like per like at the beginning of the movie you're like oh this is over the top but then as the as you learn what has happened to him up to this point it's like that's the that's the least amount of crazy i would be and that's <laughs> the cool thing about this movie too is when it starts it shows john in a crazy house and then yeah. the whole the whole thing that you see after that is him telling you basically how he ended up in the crazy house so there's a lot of things that this movie sort of toys with as far as your perspective of when the movie starts, you see a guy in a straight jacket with all kinds of crosses and symbols all over his cell that he's drawn on himself yeah. in his room. And you go, oh, he's a nutcase. Tell me your story, nutcase. Yeah, and, and then, then his story realize, is... Yeah, it's like, actually, the rest of the world is insane, and this might be yeah. the last sane man on Earth. <laughs> yeah, he's like a slick, like super nihilistic detective. Like, and yeah. that's uh, that is part of the Lovecraftian trope of the nihilistic detective, the person who just doesn't like, they don't see the world as special or themselves as special in it. There's nothing special. Everybody's predictable. He, he kind of says that like that. He, he, everybody's pretty easy to catch in a lie. He really yeah. is more interested in the challenge of the, the like really good liars. Right. Um, so yeah, he, he doesn't see the world as, uh, as worth saving in the least bit and styles says later that you know she, he would get along great with kane because sutter kane also has this nihilistic standpoint on the world and basically while john and styles are in the hobbs in town looking for kane they sort of realize that they are trapped in what seems to be a reality from one of kane's books like they're seeing all these landmarks that kane has described in his books they're seeing characters that have that he's described in his mm -hmm. books there's people yeah. there that like are huge believers in Kane, but also, I mean, from Styles' perspective, she keeps seeing everything that's in the book. She's like, "Oh, this is all the stuff in the book," but he doesn't trust her either. I mean, he's he's inspecting her as much as like he's trying to figure out what's up with Sutter Kane because he's, he's working skeptical. for this he's insurance like, These company. people are all actors. Yeah. This is all yeah. fake. And if you think about it. If you really pay attention, especially uh, in the scenes with uh, Norbert Group, the guy who plays uh, Vigo the Carpathian Fucking in Ghostbusters 2. Vigo, uh, great, great scenes with him, but every time, like, he doesn't respond to John Trent. It's almost like being at, like, a, you know, uh, a Ren Fair or like a like a, right. uh, a historical monument where they only talk in the 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 way that people would have talked then because right. it's like they're, they're not responding to him so it's like how would he not think they're actors yeah yeah from his perspective that kind of makes sense um and also things get so crazy that it's like well this can't be real yeah and then um he goes through all this crazy shit while he's in the town of Hobbs End kind of try again just trying to find Kane. eventually they do find him he's in this church and he's talking about how he's writing them all into existence and shit and yeah there's the first scene where they see him in the church and this church is uh is great beautiful like, it, it it's a real church completely black like just it does look scary from the outside it's like a russian orthodox church yeah or something. yeah uh it's it's in canada i believe um but the the townsfolk, the first time we see Kane, the townsfolk have sort of gathered outside with shotguns because he's taking the children. Um, and and uh, Styles and, and John Trent are, are outside and they see all this. 
and then Styles sees these little kids, and they're they're off. Like they're yeah. a little a they're, little off, but kind of like kids you see in an Aphex Twin video. Yes, they're yes, that's exactly what and, they're and I'll like. I'll tell you, man, the trope of creepy kids in a horror movie is one of those things that usually, always effective. Well, but to me, it's one of those things I've seen in so many flicks. I usually just chalk right. up as like lame and cheap. It's like, oh, okay, whatever, <laughs> creepy kid. Like that doesn't really creep. scare me. But these creepy kids, kids are creepy as fuck. And you yeah. see them, dude. I love the kids because like you see them several times throughout the course of the movie, and it's like the first time. They're chasing after this Doberman, and they seem strange. And then yeah. like, the, later on when you see them... They're chasing the dog, but then the dog is missing a leg. Yeah, and the kids have like, like a bloody sores. stump. The kids yeah. have like sores and blood all over the face. Yeah, that's something we see like uh, that people who are super affected by cane seem to have. They so get a little on the methy side of things whenever they're into that yeah. side of cane. Yeah. So yeah, the the town is going crazy. It, and John and and Styles are staying at this hotel where a rapping granny, I guess, runs it. Like, <laughs> I don't know that that I don't know that that particular actress has ever rapped in a movie, but she should. I'm pretty sure she ought to give it a try sometime. Yeah. Um so there's a painting in the the lobby I love that the painting. plays a real important role. At first it's just a man and a woman just sort of arm in arm looking off at the church, the the black church. Um but it changes each time we see it and they slowly morph into these like uh like tentacle-mouthed creatures. They're fucking it looks yeah. again just downright Lovecraftian where it's like you can't yeah. really explain what it looks like but it doesn't look right. And the and the lady who runs the hotel also is she has her husband uh handcuffed to her ankle, uh naked old man. That's uh, I uh, like naked old man laying on the ground, just uh, quivering. I guess is what you would say he's doing. He's I just mean, like that's oh, what some people uh, are into. Yeah, so like you could think like, oh, maybe this is a sex thing, but then later he doesn't seem stoked uh, about it. He doesn't, cause a uh, cute old lady turns into uh, a tentacled axe lady later. So those shots, dude, are fucking. So nuts, man, because that's that's something that I think this movie does extremely well, is every time that it shows you something really weird, like the weird tentacle lady chopping up her husband, or later on we have like the wall of monsters as as John is escaping Uh Hobbs End, it never really shows you super directly what's going on. Like, it just kind of gives you, you know... Ima- I think, images I, of like glistening, weird, shiny skin mm-hmm. in darkness, and your mind just sort of fills in the blanks of what it is and how disgusting it could be. There, the two clearest images we get of the creatures is one uh, we see uh, a creature in the um, what is what is a is like a garden area of the hotel. As as John Trent is escaping the hotel, there's this like this really weird looking creature with sort of praying mantis arms. Yeah. And then later, uh, Styles is talking to Sutter Kane, and on the back of his head, 
is just oh, yeah. this real clear like creature. It's like and, Quato. Yeah, it's like Quato, like just on the back of his head. But yeah, mostly it, it the effect is to keep them mysterious because when you do see them you can't fully comprehend what they are yeah just like just like any lovecraftian creature like the their their biology is yeah their biology is so foreign you just can't understand what it is and so keeping them in the dark also like just really raises that tension yeah dude i i I love it And, and it's one of those things that i feel like this movie is made today you would just be seeing these full CGI monster fucking bullshit oh, yeah. shots that would just ruin it, man. Just because yeah. they can. Yeah. Well, and also the people who make the CGI would be like, well, we don't want to make it too dark because we want people to see our work. Yeah. Oh, exactly, dude. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to do all this work and then make it dark so you can't see what a dude. Yeah. Something I um, really like about this movie, too, is how... And again, this is the kind of thing, this is why I didn't really want to talk about this movie shot for shot, but there's so much stuff in this movie that has this surreal, dreamlike mm-hmm. feel, where like, yeah, er, way they're, early on in the movie, as they're riding into the town, they see on this really dark, 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 dark road that they're driving on, there's like a super old man, well, at first it's a young guy on a bicycle. Yeah, a young guy on a bicycle with cards in the spoke. So, you, like, I, I think the cards in the spoke are supposed to indicate just how young he is right. when we first see him. And but it yeah, shows like, him, like, kind of illuminated by the brake light, so he's red. It, it's very, very, very yeah. David Lynch to me. What? And the thing is that he's on the other side of the road going the opposite way, and then not too long after we see him again going yeah. the opposite way. He's a little bit older. Then again, he's going the opposite way. He's even older, and and uh, he gets hit by the car. And, and he, he looks so fucking scared. There's something about sometimes yeah. when you see like what's obviously a young person wearing old person makeup, if it's done right, looks so fucking scary to me. Yes, absolutely. It does because it, it looks it doesn't look right. The makeup looks right, but it doesn't. Yeah. Like well, I like there's some there's something that like sort of comes out in youth that like you can you can tell that the person under that makeup is young, maybe just through the eyes or whatever. Yeah. But the makeup is showing you an old face and it's like it's wrong yeah. to you. It's very It's just weird. wrong. Yeah, you see it and it's it's very weird. And then the but scenes he says, like later on where John is trying to like escape from the town and like he drives away from the town and he keeps driving and then he's back in the town again. It's a lot yeah. like when you have a dream where like, you know, you open a door in a room and you're back in that same room again or something like that where the, the yeah. geography doesn't really make sense to you. Um, yeah. The dreamlike quality of this, I think... I love is, it. I think it's a reference to, like some the way that like time and, and space sort of break down is a reference to like Lovecraftian geometry where yeah. like... Where, like, time and space don't mean anything to these extra-dimensional creatures, so the area around them can be... It can be weird. Like, it can be impossible. It can be Things, beyond our comprehension of three yeah. dimensions. Yeah. So, uh, it's, a, it's a real great way of, like, making this, uh, like, dreamlike, surreal element also... Uh, just break down your will because you can't escape 
this area. Like, the simple solution would seem to be just leave the town. The town's fucking weird. Yeah. But you can't, you can't get out. And while he's in the town, this is one of my favorite themes of the movie. It's kind of like a lot of the people that are in the town understand that they are characters in a Sutter Kane novel and that they are being written. Their actions, their decisions yes. that they're making aren't their own. They yeah, are pre-decided absolutely. by the man who's writing the book. Like We see that scene mm-hmm. where um, the character that plays Vigo, the Carpathian... Yeah, Norbert Group. He, I don't know his name in the in the the movie, but yeah, he's Vigo he, the Carpathian. He's got a, yeah, he's in the bar with a with uh, his shotgun. Yeah, yeah, and he says he uh, he's about to commit suicide, and John Trent says don't or whatever or something. I don't know what you say when somebody's about to shoot themselves. Like, <laughs> um, ah! um, don't. Yeah, but anyway, uh, he says he says. He wrote me this way. Yeah. So like I have to. Yeah, I have to. He wrote me this way. So and then later on, um, uh, damn it, what's her name? What, the the female in the movie? Styles. Styles. Thank you. I'm blanking mm-hmm. out on names tonight. Styles. Like, there's that one scene where she goes to kiss John, and she's like, "He's writing me this way. I have to kiss you." Yeah. I have to kiss you. There's these so, ideas that your decisions aren't your own everything Uh is predestined everything is predetermined for you by this man who's creating the universe which yes i think is one of the most fascinating themes of the movie there's a lot of themes of religion throughout this movie um some of them being very obvious the way that sutter kane wears a a priest robe uh Uh and hangs out in a church hangs out in a church yeah (laughs) and there's also a lot of things in here too about how his you know his work is the new religion his books are the new bible yeah, he has that great long sort of like conversation with John Trent where he explains uh, is it like the scene where he's in the confessional. Yeah, I fucking and he, love he that has, scene. Yeah, he has that great like point where he says that the the thing about the Bible is that no one ever believed it enough for it to be true. Right, and, and what his novels do is that they're more believable. They're more horrific. They're more they they reflect the reality we know instead of the bible like reflecting this reality of like you know this is how you should these ideals of humanity they reflect the reality that we know so it's horrific and scary and like anxiety inducing and hard to completely comprehend that this is the reality that we have to deal with and here's the thing that's really interesting about that too about that especially that part of the movie where he's talking about his believers are basically what's making this real it's not even that Sutter Kane is a god like it's not even that Sutter Kane has godlike powers it is that his believers think that he does yes which actually doesn't that make the believers more powerful than the god that they're believing in. Trump supporters. What? <laughs> Maga. But you know what I mean? It's like it's not even that Sutter Kane has the power. It's that his believers do. So it's like ultimately his believers are the ones with the power and they're the ones yeah. making him god when actually they're the yeah. ones creating reality. Yeah, they're making their reality and and allowing him to decide that for them. Yeah. Instead of Instead of recognizing that, like, we all do make our own reality, we all do, like, decide the way the world goes, instead of, like, going, like, well, we could make it better, 
they they dive into the horror. They dive into the depravity and the the terrible things that humanity can become. The movie gets really crazy too because whenever John finally does escape Hobbs End, and he goes back to the publisher, like he finds out that the style like Styles was not real. Like they don't know who Styles is. Like Styles yes. was just some character in the book, I guess. But but that's the thing is he's still in the book. Exactly, so like, yeah. Yeah. So like nothing that happens in this movie Okay, hold on. Okay, because we talked a little bit already earlier about adaptations from books to movies. This right. movie is an adaptation of a book that is adapted into a movie all within the movie we're watching. Yeah, it's like Charlie so, Kaufman level, but way yeah. better. And basically, you know, at, towards the end of the movie, we just find him being treated like an insane person and going nuts me put in the asylum but then while he's in his while he's in his loony bin you know cell Mm -hmm. there's some sort of like monster attack that happens and he escapes from his cell and wanders into town Mm -hmm. and that's where we see him sitting down to watch the movie in the mouth of madness which is the movie we've been watching this whole time yeah and he stars in it's like starring john trent yeah yeah and it's the scenes we've seen it's he's watching the stuff we've seen up to this point. Yeah. So he's watching us watch him, basically. He's watching us watch him and he's the audience. Yeah. Like so we're we as the audience are watching an audience watch a movie that we've already been watching. It's kinda like we're we're drawn in there with him in his fucking madness. Yes. It's it is because that this movie the logic doesn't break down. No. Um, that all works. Like, cause people have made movies with this sort of ambition to, to show like these like meta levels of narrative. Right. But yeah. Th- this movie, like Schenectady, yeah, th- New York. <laughs> yeah. Like, but this movie works like the it story does. works. So, so when you and come dude, to that point, I, I feel you're like not so like, this is stupid. I feel like so many people don't give this movie that Charlie Kaufman level of credit because it is a John Carpenter horror movie. It's like, I feel yeah. like, I feel like a lot of people don't really take this movie seriously enough. Yeah. Well, the thing is that this movie came out, uh, three or four months after Wes Craven's new nightmare. Oh, wow. Which is also kind of uh, meta, which is also exactly like, has that same level of like meta narrative I think maybe, because New Nightmare did well. That's I think cool maybe I like New Nightmare. Yeah, and, and critically was received very well. And this movie was a little more mixed with critics. I think maybe right. some critics had been like, "Well, I saw New Nightmare. I don't need to see this." Another but you're missing out. Yeah. yeah, you're really missing out if you think that this is just some sort of New Nightmare ripoff or whatever. Like there. And dude, that's something that I see like. Uh, I like to watch a lot of movie reviews on YouTube and other podcasts and stuff like this. And a lot of the critiques that I saw about this movie were people being like, you know, well, what's the whole point of this movie? Like, your main protagonist guy feels like a rat in a maze. Like, he can't escape. He's powerless. That's the point that's to this movie, yes. That's the fucking point. Exactly. Yeah. Do you not feel that way? Like, that's the thing that, like, 
that's humanity, right? Don't oh. you feel that way sometime? That and the thing you, is, there's is like, so much I can't get, oh, I can't control. It's when, all out of my control. When everything is being pre-written for you by some invisible, omnipotent author that's making all your decisions for you and everybody around you, as a lot of faith dogma says, it's happening. Don't you feel helpless as fuck? Don't yes. you feel like a rat in a maze at that point? Don't you feel like you're just like running on a treadmill at that point, just seeing what you're being forced to see? Like that's that's the really, and, and again, as a person that that does not prescribe to any type of uh, organized religion, religion. but but yeah. but formally came from that. I grew up very 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 Christian. Um, I did too. I didn't grow up Christian, but I I have a Christian background. Yeah, it's it's so strange to me because. I think a lot of people look at the way that I live and the way that I see reality and stuff, and they're like, wow, you know, how helpless. You don't have some sort of all-seeing father guiding you through everything and helping you through difficult times and yada yada. I look at this the same way that John looks at these people in this movie. I'm like, don't you feel helpless as fuck having every decision ever made already made for you? Don't you feel like that's the definition of helpless? You have no will. You have no free will. You have no decisions to be made. If everything is already written for you by some omnipotent author, isn't that more helpless than my life? Uh, yes. <laughs> your yes. The answer to your question is one hundred percent yes. <laughs> it is more helpless. And that's something that it, I really liked about this movie too, is especially with with John being the skeptical type that doesn't believe in anything that's happening around him, but is surrounded by these zealots that one million percent believe what's going on, that they are authors in Sutter Kane's book. Um, that's a lot of times how I feel whenever I'm surrounded by people that are, again, on that path of, well, you know, every, every word I've ever spoken is already written in his book, and every decision that I'll ever make and everything that'll ever happen to me has already been made up by this holy all-father creator and stuff. And then meanwhile, John Trent's looking at these people like they're insane. He's like, no, you don't. You have free will. You can you cannot shoot yourself. You cannot kiss me. You cannot do whatever you want. But you're surrounded by these people that seem insane going, no, 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 he wrote me this way. No, 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 I'm supposed to do this. He's writing me this way. You feel like the only sane person in a fucking insane world when you're surrounded by people saying this shit to me. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's exactly, yeah, and that's exactly what it, we see. Because um, he's the only person, only sane person in this insane world. He's insane. And that's something like that, that they cover a lot in the, yeah. the, that him and, and Styles cover in their conversation in the car at the first of the movie is like, if the entire world went insane, you, as the sane person, would look like the crazy one. And, you know, one of my favorite things about this movie that I like to sort of analyze, too, is the the character of Sutter Kane himself, right? Because essentially what Sutter Kane is, is he is the author of a new religion which mm. has overtaken the world, right? Yeah. Now, that's nothing new. There are plenty of religions that have overtaken the world, but... Yeah. What's unique about Sutter Kane's position in this is that whether you're talking about Islam or Christianity or whatever, any of these major world religions, you know, none of the originators of those, whether you're talking about, you know, Jesus Christ or the Prophet Muhammad or whatever, 
None of those guys lived to see their religion dominate the earth. That's true. But the interesting thing is Sutter Kane, as a flesh and blood human being, lives to see his own religion dominate the world. Can you imagine how drunk with power anyone would be within their lifetime to see their religion infect the entire world? Which is something that's never happened. What he finds is what exactly what a ton of those religious figures would notice if they were still alive is that he becomes so powerful that he can rip himself out of reality. And that's what he does. He does that, yeah. I'd say the closest thing that we've seen to this in recorded human history is probably the ascension of one stone-cold Steve Austin. Yes. Listen, he started out as a Hollywood blonde. Yeah. He... He and Flying Brian Pillman. Uh-huh. He he became the man, the myth, the legend, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. And now, and now, you know, all we have is his podcast to keep us going. <laughs> and and you know, we're we're we are told to believe everything he says, quote unquote, because Stone Cold says so. Yeah, Stone Cold said so. It's the bottom line. All right, guys. That is the bottom <laughs> but you line. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's really interesting to see that with this movie. I think the character of Sutter Kane is obviously he's not the main character, but I think he's a very important character to to kind of analyze and study because he's obviously drunk with his own power and his own power to rewrite reality and rewrite religion and people's vision of reality throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, he seems surprised by it, but also like pleased as though. And this is the thing, is that uh, John Carpenter, in some ways, is just representing the creative mind in general. And I think, in some ways, uh, you know, for a creative mind, success can be uh, as much of a downfall as it it can be, like, empowering. Uh, And that's kind of the issue here, is that his success is the downfall of civilization... Uh, he feels empowered by it, but he also is—he uh, also is—is is powerless uh, in the face of his own creativity. And I think this movie—if you watch it now—I think this movie—it does have a cult following. There, there have always been big fans of this movie, but I think if people watch this movie now they will really connect with it in a way that 1995 audiences might not have. I think so too. I think this movie honestly was just a little bit, a little bit too early. Mm -hmm. A little bit ahead of its time. I, I really, really, really like this movie a lot. This is one of those ones that I, I will watch any opportunity I get. And, uh, kind of like what I was saying about audition. It's one of those, I just want to watch with people who have never seen it and be like, okay, what did you think that was about? You know, what did you think of this movie? Um, I even feel like really just kind of it being in the horror movie genre really limits people's ideas about the scope of what it covers and what it's about. I don't know. It's almost like whenever, you know, I don't know, a band releases some kind of really incredible, unbelievable record with all these incredible messages all over it, but it's a metal record. That automatically limits how deep people are going to look into it. Are we we specifically talking about Tool at this point? (laughs) Because that's... That's how I feel about Tool all the time. It's just like, 
you don't you don't get it like, yeah <laughs> somebody's just like oh it's a metal rake no no it's not it's uh, like tool there's something more there there are a lot of bands like that in the metal genre yeah in I would even like, go as far as to say that Maynard James Keenan is kind of the the Sutter Kane of metal. <laughs> you know what? He really is because I remember in the the late '90s, early 2000s that he would like during concerts he would just do stuff to really because fans of Tool go like real far with their theories and stuff. Really and he, deep. Yeah, and like he would just do stuff to sort of like egg on those theories. I remember there was a just an to, article just in, to fuck with him. Yeah, there was an article in Spin magazine right after uh, Lateralis came out, and in the one of the band pictures, he's holding his fingers so that he only has like three fingers, yeah, like some sort of uh-huh. alien, which is like a sort of theory about Tool. I yeah, I really like that he he ran with that. He is totally. very much a, a Sutter Kane of metal. Yes, also drunk with power. And drunk on oh, his yeah. own wine. Was his drunk on videos. his own wine, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really, really do love this movie, though. This is one of those ones that, like, I had heard of, and I just sort of expected it to be just sort of an average, you know, whatever, uh, mid-90s scary movie kind of thing. Really far exceeded my expectations. I love the, I love, 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 love the surreal dreamlike stuff, like the, the old guy on the bike, him revisiting mm-hmm. the same locations over and over. Um, the first time that I watched this movie, I think I watched about three quarters of it, and I was really—it was really late at night. I was fucking drunk, and I thought that I was falling asleep and like dreaming parts of this movie, um, where he's revisiting yeah. the same locations over and over and all this stuff. But then I went back and rewatched it the next day, you know, wide awake, and I was like, nope, I wasn't falling asleep. That's just how this movie is. Um, I love those aspects of it. That stuff's very hard to capture. Um, I love the messages of the movie of just dissecting what is reality and how much power you put into somebody and their ideas influences your own reality and the helplessness of predestination and living in a pre-written world and the power of seeing your own religion become real. There's so much stuff about this movie I like. Um, I feel like all the acting is really strong in it. Um Love the casting. I, I, I honestly, it's one of those ones I can't really think of a whole lot I would change about this movie. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, we usually do kind of a likes and dislikes. I can't really think yeah. of a lot of dislikes. I, I love the visual effects of the movie, too, as I mentioned before. Like, it doesn't really show you much. Um, and, again, I see some people criticize that. Like, there's that part towards the end of the movie where he's running from the wall of monsters down that H.R. Yeah. Geiger hallway so awesome. And a uh-huh. bunch of people are like, we didn't even get to see what he was running from. And I'm like, it's scarier if you don't. It's yes. more Lovecraftian if it's just these unspeakable, malformed, gleaming yeah. terrors. Perfect. Yes. So I can't really think of anything about this movie that I honestly dislike. Soundtrack's sick. Yeah, I can't think of a lot of dislikes here. You know, a lot of the critics, they didn't really love this movie. And uh, I think Sam Neill has something to say about that. Well, fuck that. I love the well-placed beats of humor that are in the movie, yes. too. It's not God. a lot. It's not a lot at all. Yeah, but they're great. Sam Neill is so good at playing intense comically. Yeah. He, he just has that. He has a very expressive face, very expressive eyes. He's real sure. good at. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, I've seen this movie at least 30 times. I, I would say I've watched it at least once a year since 1995, but I, I, I will generally watch it more than once a year because it'll just come into my mind. Like, I'll just, the, the sorry about the balls line will <laughs> hit my mind, or just like, I'll start thinking about, like, I do this a lot. Yes, I start thinking about, like, reality and, like, who. Who is the author of this reality? And, like, is there an author? Is that just some weird, like, false idea we have that, like, anything ever really originates with one person? Um, I love this movie so much. Dislikes, I would say the only thing I dislike really is that everybody is in a David Byrne stop making sense suit. Yeah, they're in the like, big suits this whole movie. It's yeah, true. <laughs> Very yeah. dated. Yeah, very dated. A lot of smoking, but it's yeah. the 90s. Um, yeah, I really did. There's nothing I dislike about this movie. I, I couldn't keep watching it so often. If it didn't just hit all the points that, like, really, like, a, a lot of movies, I think, that affected me as, as a ute um, uh, were... I think now I, I look back on them and I think like, oh, I get why I like that as a teenager. Right, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I liked this movie as a teenager, and the more I watch it as an adult, the more I'm like, no, this movie, like, it really is. It was it was very prescient. It, it saw the, the, the future we might be running toward, and it, it, it was, like, unapologetic about presenting it. And I, I still think that it's a great movie. I give this movie without reservation a 10 out of 10. You know, and and one more thing, too, that I, I kind of forgot to mention while we were talking about all the, you know, rat in a maze, predestination, he's in the presence of a god who's writing all these characters, including himself kind of thing. Uh-huh. One of my favorite things about this movie, which was even even as a, even as a, a, a younger dude being a Christian, I was always really curious about is like, if Sutter Kane is writing this whole reality that John is a part of, and he's writing John, he's writing John to question him. Yes. Which I think That's, is a really fascinating thing. It's like it's brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Because really, like, he wrote the character of John, but the character of John goes, yeah, Sutter Kane's not real. Like, none of this is real. Mm. Uh, yeah. To me, that's a really fascinating idea that an omnipotent God would create people that don't believe in him yeah I but that, i mean yeah if, you, if you're trying to represent something similar to uh the god that 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 this world sort of believes in it no matter a respective irrespective of religion like everyone seems to have this single god not everyone but the majority of people seem to have this single god and so like that single god would then have to deal with the people that don't believe in him. But he made them that way. He wrote but me this he way. Ama- yeah, but he made them that way. Yeah. To and, not believe in him. And then what's going to happen? Uh, yeah. Is he going to punish you for being the way that he made you? Well, that depends on the religion you oh, believe in. But. Dude, that, like, those are the questions that I fucking love. And By not, the way, not a lot that... Of movies that that is, that is one of the things that uh, interested me in Mormonism, is that they... 
I mean, a lot of people give Mormons a lot of shit for baptisms for the dead. Sure. Because the idea is that the dead person being baptized is now forced to be Mormon. Mm-hmm. But uh, what it really is is that among Mormons, the belief is that that you can perform this baptism for the dead and that the dead then in whatever afterlife there is have this option of choosing to accept that oh. because they didn't get an option on earth of accepting that. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I, that's, I think that's like a cool... Like, I would say in general, for for quite a while, Mormons would have been considered the, the cool religion. <laughs> like, they're the ones that were more like... Uh, okay, everything's you know just let's just sort of respect everyone's possible beliefs, and then of course you know the the fact that they didn't give blacks the priesthood until 1978. I was gonna let they, you bring that up. <laughs> yeah, and then and then the fact, of course, that they they uh, fought so hard uh, with Prop Eight, like yeah, um, yeah. a lot of people just I I it it's I mean you can there are a lot of there's an uh, a Reddit, a subreddit called Ex Mormon, that I highly recommend checking out if you don't know much about Mormons. Because what you'll find about Ex Mormons is that there's a lot of like positive sort of respect for uh, Mormons, but there's also that like, but you guys are missing, you're missing out on the fact that you're hurting other people. <laughs> like you think you're being real nice, but you're hurting a lot of people. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. I didn't mean to tear off on too much of a tangent there, but I just think that's a really... I've always thought that was a really fascinating aspect of any religion is just being the way that I'm made. Aren't I just doing as I was made yeah. to be by questioning all of this? Yeah. Mormons don't believe in predestination either, which is... A, I mean, but they do believe that you made all sorts of choices before you were born that affect who you are on life, which is insane. And, and I'll put out there, too, that not all sects of Christianity believe in predestination. Not, not all of them do. No, they don't. Yeah, a lot a lot are built on the idea of free will, and that's, that's a really cool uh, point. I mean, like... It's one of my favorite Rush songs, dude. Yeah. <laughs> who doesn't love that song? Assholes. Hey, you know what? The person who doesn't love that song also listens to Tom Sawyer and is just like, I don't hear it. No, like, what, what do you like? It. I don't get it. I'm with you. I would. I would probably. I don't. I don't know. You know what? I think like after I watched this movie the first time, I think I was like eight out of ten. I'm now thinking this is probably about a nine and a half out of ten for me. Like it's really, it's really fucking damn close to ten. For yeah. Me. I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Really... I don't know much. I would change about this movie. It stands up. I think the more you watch it, the more you're like, I, I think that's, I would have said a long time ago, maybe like an eight or a seven and a half. Cause like, you know, uh, it, it feels like at times, uh, and this may be a dislike I didn't mention. It feels like at times that like you aren't entirely sure what's happening, but you also don't feel confident. Like, it's okay to watch a movie and not be entirely sure what's happening, but you also need to feel confident that everything's going to be explained. And I think at a certain point when you watch this, maybe your first time in this movie, it feels like, okay, so none of this is going to be explained. You just, you get so far into the woods, like so deep in the dark that it feels almost like you're never going to come out of it. But right. again, I think I think that's uh That's very that, Lovecraftian, that, dude. Yeah, that's a great like 
element of this. I so. love it. I can't really think of much I would change. I would hugely recommend, hugely recommend watching it. Um, yeah, can't say enough good about it. I feel like this is a very underrated flick. I would even say it's definitely my top ten favorite horror flicks yes. of all time. Mm-hmm. Well, on the next episode that we're going to do, we are going to be covering one of also my all-time favorite flicks, ah. uh, our second Dario Argento movie, little Gotta go back to him. Oh, man. By, by the name of Suspiria. Yeah. Um, I haven't checked out the audio of our original recording of this. It's probably fucked up, so we'll probably have to redo it. <laughs> yeah. E- either you will hear us uh, several months ago, or you'll hear us in a few weeks. Yeah. Well, a few weeks. I mean, you'll I'll... hear us in a few days, honestly. Yeah, it's more like it. I'm okay if we redo it. I mean, I'm, I'm really happy that we redid this episode because I feel like after having yeah. a couple months to kind of think over this movie more, it's like I've appreciated it more on other aspects. So I feel like Suspiria will probably be the same way because that's a really interesting yeah. flick. So be sure to stay tuned for, for that episode. We'll be getting all deep on this witch-filled Italian horror spectacular flick. In the meantime, Steve, where can they uh, where can they contact us and get in touch with us and all that jazz and follow us? Well, you can email us at deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. Oh. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at deadlovelypod. Uh, they, dead and lovely was already taken because some emo chick... I guess. Somebody I else know. likes Tom Waits, I guess. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, at Steven Spratling. That's Steven with a V, the only way to spell it. And you guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter, at Ben Eller Guitars. All one word, Ben Eller Guitars. And you can find my YouTube channel on YouTube.com slash Ben Eller Guitars. Yeah. So... Next week, Suspiria. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to go on iTunes and rate and review our podcast. The rating and reviewing is super, super, super important to us. It makes us show up in search feeds and internet searches and stuff a whole hell of a lot easier. So if you guys really enjoy this show and you want to help us out, please go on iTunes. It just takes a second. It takes like a damn minute out of your life to go in there rate and review this podcast using clean g-rated language they won't post it if it has bad words mm-hmm. so use them church words and uh, give us a rating and a golly review. g willikers golly g i like this show say something like that well, do that yeah yeah in the meantime you guys have been great and we have been dead and lovely say good night steve good night steve bye